Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about winter wheat. In our spotlight, we're going to look at Raven, this new second generation Hawkeye nozzle control system. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about agricultural prosperity from 1950 to 1975. Cool Beans, that's corny, we'll have some current events. And you applied what? We'll talk about some chemical. So, with me today are Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schaumburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. Bill Schaumburg. Hey, guys. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So it's a little bit cooler outside these last few days. Feels like fall. It's yeah. Awesome. It's, it's hitting. Very happy. Fall is here. Labor Day is almost here, so that's good. We can no longer say have a nice trip. See you next fall. No. Nope. Because we're here. We're here. Yeah, when it gets to be 50 outside at night, you know it's fall. When it's been so warm, so that this contrast to being cold is... It feels, it feels really cold. really cold. Yeah, it's awesome. Like I, I was driving in this morning, and I was like, man, I wonder how cold it felt like it was like 40, and I looked, it was 56. I was like, okay, it's not <laughs> it's that not cold. Bad. In like a month, that'll feel warm Yeah, to yeah. be 60 degrees. Yep. Like, ooh. And you can really tell the daylight we are losing now. Yeah. You know, it's dark by 8 o'clock. It's not quite light in the morning. Now that the kids are back in school, it's good to get them to bed earlier, though. Yeah. That's hard in the summer when it's... When it's light till 9. Yeah. And they, yeah. They don't want to go to bed. It's, Why am I going to bed and it's still light out? Yeah, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now going to bed in the dark and waking up in the dark <laughs> where, like, it seems like two weeks ago I was waking up and it was already light out and going to bed and it was still light out you know what i mean yeah. like you flip the switch pretty drastically there what time are you going to bed max oh i was yeah. light out until like 9 30 okay i guess i wasn't going to bed yeah. when it was light out but it wasn't it wasn't it like was it? where like now like you got to turn on the tv or you got to turn on the lights to eat yeah, dinner to, like to see, yeah to you know what i'm saying <laughs> what yeah. are you eating dinner like, okay eight? i don't think <laughs> quite that bad yet yeah. but it, yeah, it's not like when we get to like January and it's like, when will we see sunlight yeah. again? <laughs> when we you're had, trying to finish soil sampling and it's getting dark. and we had, What is the sun? 7.30, we had supper last night. I flipped the lights on. It yeah, was, it's where it's getting dusky. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying. I'm old like you, Bill. I get it. I get these young bucks over here. They don't quite understand. <laughs> young bucks. Right. <laughs> you're younger than them. <laughs> what do you guys think of silage? It, I think that it was windy this week, and that really seemed to dry it down. And it's yeah. just been tricky with rain in places, and it sucked that up. And then now yeah. the wind. And yeah, I've got some that's off already. Still yeah. waiting on the rest. But I think a lot of guys are going to start like yeah Labor Day finishing is gonna be hay this time. week, and then they're going to pound on corn yeah. next week. Next week's going to be a yeah this big next. Week. I think even I think even this weekend rolling. we could see oh, yeah, some pretty a lot of choppers rolling. Pretty yeah. I I saw four on, this morning on the road on the way here and it's not a very long drive so i they're definitely uh there's some people getting ready to let it rip well, a lot of guys are doing fourth crop right now and then they're gonna just gonna roll right in the silage when they get done so yeah that was a tough decision it's like fourth crop or corn or fourth crop or corn and yeah i talked to yeah. i talked to one of my friends who works on a harvest crew and they drove uh, about two hours from here to a farm and they brought the choppers with the hay heads on and then another semi that just had corn, corn heads on it. They yeah. were just, they're like, we don't know what we're going to do when we get there, but we're doing something. We're chopping so, something. Yeah. I mean, even just to open up some of these fields while you're there, I mean, might as well get things going. Get the hard part out of the way. Yeah. That's all right. 
you guys see the new logo? Max, you get to voice in on your your all our uh, logo naming kind of thing. I uh, for me, it doesn't doesn't matter a whole lot what they would have come up with. The whole name change with the Brewers, I just can't. Yeah, we got to tell what logo it is. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I didn't Miller, even look at it yet. So Miller Park. It used to be Miller Park, and now it's American, American Family, Family Insurance Field? Field. American Family Fields. Yeah. So. Do you, do you think we'll just like Amfam Field? Probably. I mean, or are it'll we just, just doing stay that? Miller Park. I think it's going to be Miller Park for a long. It's going to take <laughs> ten years before. Oh I yeah, it, it'll be a while before it actually changes. But yeah, the funny thing is, I didn't realize until the naming rights thing was up that this just isn't Miller Park like for its entire existence. Right, like that they. Right. Yeah, I thought that too. That they kind of like got. I mean, it to be like Miller that's Park. its name. We're the Milwaukee Brewers. Why are we? Why are we moving away from a beer name like that? That just seems so counterintuitive. But Miller got their 10, 20 years out of it. Or it whatever said it was. the old logo showed what twenty two thousand two, right? Twenty years, yeah. I mean, yeah. they they at least could have. Or since two thousand one, I think these so, yeah. these. New companies go for like plain when they do their logos. Like, yeah, no, it's very much. It's just the American Family logo, and then with a little bit of like with color change, and then they added the rafters of the park behind it. It's not hmm. really anything. And I still have family members who refer to the Rush Center as the Brown County Arena, and you guys know how long that's been there. <laughs> well, that's not even the same it, building. I, but it, it was built to replace the yeah. Brown have County you, Arena. Have and they you guys just been through there lately with the new n- arena? Yeah, I was there a couple weeks ago. It's it's impressive. Oh, the new arena is like being built. Oh, oh no. yeah. So I mean, I guess done. I remember it's seeing the, done. The, yeah. the dirt being moved, but I didn't. Oh, cool. My brother is part of Building America. He's been working on the Brown County Arena renovation. Nice. So building, so what, building will the it be called the Brown County Arena now? Or no, I, no, no, it's no. Rush, Rush Center Complex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. That's why they that's why they called it the complex in the beginning, and it was only like one building, and you were kind of confused why they called it the complex, so they could do this someday and just yeah, add eventually. on. The, the um, conceptual details is really interesting of the new American Family Field lo- like logo because, like, here's one thing they say is the iconic roof line elements from both the American Family oh, and the Home of the Brewers visually represented a strong partnership connection. So it talks about you the, know yeah okay. the logo and how it um, you know some kid from Stan Stanford who went to school for graphic design oh yeah designed that is... and had to present that to a board and that is what they came up with and it sounds very very intelligent. I feel this Twitter user kind of hit the mark. Yeah, nice. That's a that's a good name for it. Yeah. Some guy tweeted a the Amfam Slam Clam said fixed it. Yeah, it does look like a clam on top, and although yeah. and the way the brewers are hitting the bats lately, that's uh, pretty uh, <laughs> slam short term. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep telling ourselves that. I mean, they at least could have gone with like State Farm, and then you could be if they have to change the name of the team, it could be the Jake from State Farms. I think the hard part for us is we've never had a change of a ballpark, like. Like Lambeau Field. That yeah, like, yep, yeah. Enron, um, all those, like, how many times has the Giants, the baseball Giants stadium changed names? A well, billion. It's not entirely true. Well, the Bucks, Stadium, the Bucks, yeah, now being in Pfizer. A, but that was a new arena. Yeah, I guess. This isn't, like, the same, renaming same the spot. Right, yeah. We renamed it. Like, Lambeau Field, never going to change. Never. You better hope not. Well, that's, never say yeah. never. Well, they might do the old, yeah, like. Right. It's it yeah. where but they have uh, even Mile High Stadium is 
something at Invesco at Mile High or whatever. Right. You know, they changed that. Yeah. Well, the the thing is that because the Packers are a, a publicly right. owned company, they're not going to really sell out. Like, you know, how do you sell out a publicly owned company no. like that? No. It says American Family paid $4 million per year for naming rights. For how many years did it say? It says... It says forty million, so I'm assuming ten years. Then it must be a ten year, yeah. Yeah, term. it doesn't seem like a lot. Like no, it says fifteen year on a different article. It? See, I don't know. So forty million for fifteen year naming rights. Yeah. I mean, I guess think of you get their the name dropped when people are there and on the radio. I would have thought it'd be more than that. Well, they probably, yeah. but American Family probably pays for all the signs to be changed. Like that's got to count for something, oh, I'm right? Sure, it's like, a lot of money. The brewers aren't paying for that, right? No. So I mean, is that another forty million in that? No, Are you thinking about the giant like side of the building? Like that's got to cost some money. It says it's twice as much as what Miller Coors was paying. Oh well, so. there you go. Good job, Burrs. Good job, Mark Antanasio. And really, for Miller Coors, it's like we're still going to call it Miller Park, probably. Right. right. So they get like they're going to get free advertising they just let for a while. Amfam yeah. do it for a little bit, and then they'll be like, yeah, yeah, we'll take it back. That's awesome. All right, we better do this. Yep. Yeah, let's get into it. So we're going to talk about tips for planting a great winter wheat crop. So, Bill, this was your brainchild this week. So what do we got? Yeah, just being that we're on the cusp of winter wheat planting here, and we've had such terrible falls the last two years to actually plant winter wheat, I figured, well, this fall is setting up to be a good one. So uh just went through and kind of laid out some things that growers should be thinking about when they make decisions and get that wheat in the ground. So... Uh, we've probably got, oh, I don't know, six or seven things, maybe a few more, but uh, we'll go through them all here. I guess the most important thing we need to consider is variety selection, right? We, can, we can't change the weather. Sometimes we can't change field conditions. I would disagree with variety selection. I think the most important mm-hmm. is planting date Yeah, out of these. Yeah, I would say. Variety, especially with wheat and variety selection, I... There's just not as many options. It's not like opening the corn book or the soybean book, that's for sure. It's no, like, but you're not planting as many acres either. No, I just, I mean, uh, yeah, you want to be cognizant of it and try to pick one that did good in the university trials and stuff, but there's less trials and there's less I options. think the I think the big thing is that wheat doesn't have a maturity group necessarily. You know what I mean? Where right, corn, you're not, like, hey, we're, we have to plant 95-day corn right, or we have to plant 110-day right. corn where... We, you can get a early flowering and a late flowering and that kind of thing, but it's not really like a day length that you have to choose from or maturity group like well, it soybeans. Is, it's like here's your, what, is there 10 choices, you think, total, really, when you're talking Winter from? Wheat? Yeah. Oh, look at look the trials. There's 30, 40, yeah, 50 true. of them. But I'm I mean, just, but the, but what are the ones we typically Well, and the, other, the other thing I'm learning is there's a lot of varieties in the trial, and if you try and track some of those down the company says yeah we had those in the trial but we're only carrying these two varieties right. like look at like pioneers got their three main ones cropland's yeah. got three or four pips got i think know, as something that guys probably don't consider it's important because how many guys exactly for the reasons we just talked about yeah i got wheat from this guy like this is my wheat guy I- this, this is my he's got guy. whatever he's got yeah is that but, but is that and maybe uh, it's good there's less options that means that you have less to choose from so just as long as you do your homework it's not like you got to choose from right that's what know, that's what i'm saying lot, instead right. of just saying oh i yeah. usually get my wheat from yep. joe blow maybe look into it a little bit and actually find you know 
look at the trials. Absolutely. Well, and when you're planning dates, one thing you can choose, and you can plan that out. But variety selection, you got to look at several different op- things when you're looking at a variety. You got to look at what's the yield potential. Is it a good yielding one? Is it a bad yielding one? If it's a bad yielding one, then you're going to cut cut it out. We want good winter survival, resistance to disease and insects. And then, you know, planting uh, plant height and lodging, you know, then you got to consider, like, am I going to take this for straw? Am I just taking the grain? If I want a grain hybrid, excuse me, variety, maybe you don't want a tall one because you're afraid it's going to lodge. But if you want a straw, yeah, we want to get a tall one and hope it has good lodging so that we can get that off good. Um, you know, test weight is in there too, but probably not huge as important. But so those are things to consider. You know, obviously in Wisconsin here, we look at the UW trials and they come out with something every fall and, and do a good job with that. Um, other states I'm sure have other things too. And companies, you know, I'm sure Pioneer and all those companies have their own trials, but something independent, you can look at the UW trials and focus on what varieties do. And I I think for me, when I look at those, as I always consider multi-year data too, you know, if it has good consecutive numbers two years in a row, hard part is sometimes it's not in there two years in a row. But wheat varieties seem to have really quick turnover quicker than the good one, the good bad ones too. (laughs) But I'm, I'm saying like, it the, the when you look at variety on. trials from two years, like if you try and look at consecutive years, there is not a lot that's the same. No, you know by company even there's you know one or two from each company that stays, and the rest kind of just get pushed right along. So it is hard. I get what you're saying about trying to find consecutive yeah. data. It can be it can be tough, but when you can find it, usually usually if you can find consecutive data, that means it's probably a pretty decent you know a decent variety to start with. Right. If it hangs around, it's probably there's a reason it's hanging around. So so then the second thing, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but fungicide, insecticide resistance, but we also can treat that at, at planting time too. We can treat our seeds. So I think a lot of times farmers look to, to plant treated seed and, and fungicide would be very important to do that. Um, and we're looking for stripe rust, septoria leaf blotch, powdery mildew. Those are the things that we worry about. So resistance, um, those would be the things that we're looking for when we're looking for resistance. So it's not so much a treatment is going to help with those because that's a next year problem. But then the fungicide treatment is more for getting even emergence, helping your seed survive this fall. And then into the next one, Todd, is is um, your planting date. Um there's several different times we can do depending on what part of the state or even if you're in a different part of the country. Um, I think for us, that September 15th, October 1st is probably the sweet spot for planting date. I just see so much yield repercussions with that, that the closer you can be to the 15th, the better. It just is just... And you'd see yield. I mean, you you see yield difference of ten or twenty bushel from September fifteenth to October first. Correct. So, I mean, that's a huge difference in all this stuff. Well, and, um, and we're sitting here on September fourth, so it's a good thing we're talking about this because yeah, you, yeah, just get be do what you can to be ready in you know ten days and do it. And I don't. What do you guys think if a farmer comes to you the tenth and the window is there and the field conditions are fit? 
Do you let him go, or do you say, ah, no, I'll wait till the 15th, because that's the I think if the says. field conditions are fit and the weather is fit, you go. Yeah, yeah I would say go. I have a really hard time saying no when things are right. when things are ready. Because next, next week you get three straight days of rain. Right, right. We got rain in the forecast. We just came out of a period of no rain. Usually in fall, we can, you know, we're going to get rain, but, yeah, I think it's better just to get it there, get it going. Well, and this year, especially right now, you know, just the way things are shaping up, we kind of have a little window here. I know it's early, but we kind of have a window. And once corn silage starts, there's not a lot of thought about planting wheat. No. It, and then manure comes out and all these other things have to happen. And you're here to October 15th and you're like, okay, we're, we got time. Let's plant some wheat now. And yep. you really, you really set yourself back then. Yeah. So, and kind of along with, with planting day goes seeding rate. And um, I always tend to hedge a little heavier because it seems like the yields increase a little bit more when you hedge a little on the heavy side. Um, you know, one, and I think in pounds, and a lot of recommendations are done in million seeds per acre. So 1.3 to 1.7 million seeds per acre, which is about 120 to 150 pounds of seed, depending on the seed size, of course, that changes that. But so, I would say, Bill, too, that, I mean, it used to be a standard 120. Right. Across the board, and I had, you know, growers ask me too. It's like, man, my guy's selling seeds. So I could be at one forty, and I said, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. we are pushing them up to one forty, one fifty now. So, um, I mean, the biggest downside is obviously seed cost. Then it's getting a lot more expensive to plant wheat and buy yeah. the seed, and then we're up in the rate. Uh, but we do see it on the other end as far right. as if you're going to gain just, some yield. Your gain yield doesn't have to tiller as much. Um, to to get us good yields. So, I mean, there's even guys pushing that 2 million seeds sort of early to see a yield boost, which would be like upwards of 180. Um, I think, you know, for now, I don't know that we're recommending that. But like I said, if you're sort of pushing that high yield or trying for higher yield, that's a spot that you could get it. Um, but there, I think you're potentially just buying the yield as, as far as, right. you know, the added seed. And then the later you get, the heavier you want to plant. You know, we have less time to tiller. Less time to tiller. Yep. Let maybe a few less germinate. Those kinds of things. So you know, bump that one fifty to one eighty. You know, your pounds pounds per acre. Um, we do have a little bit concern, even though we were having a little discussion with Todd beforehand about barley yellow dwarf virus. If we plant too early, there's a potential for barley yellow dwarf virus because we have too much foliage there these well and then basically aphids come in on that and can do it and then the other one is the hessian fly um you know which can get maggots and other stuff on there so so those like you say after the 15th that's why that's there i mean ideally we do plant september 1st but then we just open ourselves up for um, more disease and more insect problems so next up would be planting depth. Um, I think that's maybe just as important. Um, we don't want to plant it too shallow, of course, um, maybe prone to uneven germination with the dry weather we've had. I was actually in a new seeding field yesterday that was like, wow, this field looked better last week. And it, some of it was germinated and some of it was just sneaking out of the ground, you know. So with this uneven moisture we've gotten, yeah, variability can variability. really show up. Yeah. yeah, so planting planting too shallow, we want to plant into moisture if we have it, just like corn. Um, maybe there's a higher potential for heaving because those crowns are a little bit higher or closer to the surface, you know, which could lead to winter kill. Um, and then if we plant it too deep, uh, below an inch, inch and a half too, then we're not going to get 
the, the tiller development that we could and also that that leaf could open up sooner and not basically get out of the ground. So it kind of sure. runs out of steam before it gets there. So that one inch is, is that sweet spot to me. So, um, and then kind of last couple odds and ends here. Um, we want to keep wheat in a rotation just like anything else. You know, I, I know some guys go wheat, soybeans back and forth, but if you can put corn in there, um, actually studies have shown that corn, soybeans, wheat is kind of the, some of the better results. Um, and then if you, so you're going to get your highest yields after soybeans. After that would be corn silage. Then if we're planting after corn grain would be the third level there of potential yield. Why do you think that? Why better after soybeans? If it's, if it's just uh ground cover, you know, we're not leaving as much it's, residue. Well, and it's more mellow versus corn silage. Right. Yeah. It's versus, more mellow. I just wonder too, is like, you got to watch with soybeans is depending on your relative maturity. You you usually should lower your relative maturity on your soybeans so you can plant by the 15th or right, at least right. the 1st of October. Make sure yep. you have the window. Yeah. yeah. And whereas corn silage, especially this year, is choppers are going to start rolling next week. That window to be planting on time will be there. So it will be. Especially, you know, right as that chopper rolls out, you go roll in no-till wheat. This year. Um, yes, this year it should work. Um, last yeah, not, year, not, not much, Yeah, not many year, other yeah. years. But no, that, that window will be there this year, which is exciting. It's funny that you say putting wheat in after grain corn for mm-hmm. us. I mean, did, that's, does that, that happen? That's not even... Yeah. So yeah, High, high I would, moisture. I've had it done after high moisture corn. And? It worked, but not... It did it, no, though. No, it was like, <laughs> it was, yeah, that was probably closer to that, like, October, early October window, not... Not in September at all, probably. It, it was late, and yeah. it was a lucky year and a good fall. So I don't think that would be a recommendation. For we don't. Many times. We don't get many of those in no. the state. No, that's so maybe two hundred miles south. What is a good fall? <laughs> um, don't know anymore. Hopefully, fall twenty twenty. That was about the only thing that might be good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Last thing: crop insurance. You know, a lot of times guys want to get these crops insured, just like corn and beans. Uh, we have final planting dates on crop insurance. And depending on where you are in the state or other parts of the country, for us uh, in the Wisconsin, it's between September 30th and October 10th, which seems really early to me. But I guess we want to you know, ensure our highest yielding possible. So, But anyway, um, if you get after that, depending on what that date is in your area, you go 1% a day for 10 days, so you lose just lose a little bit. It's not that you can't insure it. You just lose a little bit. Sure. And then after those 10 days, then it reduces to 60%. Um, so Or nothing. Or nothing. So All right. just got to watch that um, when you're planting. Um, and then lastly, on odds and ends here, wheat on wheat. That happens, right? Guys yep, it does. do plant wheat on wheat. This year I got my first like spring wheat on winter wheat. Mm. wheat. Oh, no, sure. no, no. Winter wheat on spring wheat. And like oats too, more of that because there was just such little winter wheat going. So just in general, maybe small grain on small grain is kind of a a different sort of thing in the rotation that you don't want, but you can't necessarily. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Yeah, Yeah. just happens. Just a couple things to think about if you are making that decision to go wheat on wheat is good. Good idea would be to plant a different variety, uh, so you don't have the same variety out there as you did last year. 
You know, obviously pick one with good disease resistance and seed treat it. Especially if you had disease issues with right. that variety. And now that your volunteer has been out there for a month, so you could be having some of those issues, you may want to increase your seeding rate. Um, go to that 180 right away. Why? Um, yeah, just I think because we want to have more plants out there in case we do get diseases or other issues that happen. So um, that's just one thing that was, was talked about. And then um, one key thing I thought was kind of important was if you're going no-till and you didn't kill the volunteer, maybe we should do that before we seed. Sure, round yep. up it. Round it up, get it rid of it, and then go right into your new crop. So there's a couple of things to think about if you're going, going wheat on wheat. All right, so. sounds good. So there you go. There's some tips on growing a better winter wheat crop for this year. Now we're going to move into our spotlight. Today in our spotlight, we're going to talk about Raven releasing the second generation of its Hawkeye nozzle control system. So, the article starts with a 100% convinced gentleman named Lance Bell who said it was the right decision to run the Hawkeye 2s. So the works a lot better, maintains consistent pressure, able to adjust for how the wind was blowing. Uh, so all in all, sounds like it was a positive move forward. Yeah, he said half the time he was 100% convinced it was the right decision, right? <laughs> 50% of the time it works every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> I think what I liked about it is, too, is last week we talked a little bit about conservation or in past episodes we talked about conservation, but these nozzles and these booms are getting so good that, you know, we're putting these buffers in, we're putting in these grass waterways throughout fields, and... In years past, we'd come through and maybe spray them off by accident. You know, now with these new nozzle control systems that these sprayers have, we can plug the 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 border in, and you can just go and not kill out these waterways that you spend well, so much makes, time and money in. Makes it easier for you know a lot of these co-ops are having trouble finding guys to put in the cab. Makes it easier for the driver. So if you're more inexperienced, at least that should help some. It gives you more tolerances, I guess. Yep, more tolerances. Hopefully, better quality job in the end. So yeah. Well, in our in our fight to continue to be able to use some of these uh, more new newer products that are considered, you know, more risk or risk risk heavy, the uh, heavy drift products. Um, every time a new nozzle comes out, that's another cha- that's another chance for us to kind of prove that hey, we can control this, we can do a good job, and be able to use this herbicide. So, positive, positive movement in the world of application. So now we'll move into our egg history minute for this week. There's the banjo. I think this is your favorite one, Matt. It is. I, I do enjoy listening to the beautiful ma- banjo music. So we're going to talk about the agricultural prosperity of the period from 1950 to 1975. So overall, 1950 to 1975 was one of the most dramatic periods for agriculture change and progress that the nation had seen. Success of American agriculture during this period of change made it possible for the U.S. to turn its energies to other scientific and technological advancements and gave us exports that we could make profits on. So found this interesting... Uh, Including little, wheat, right, Matt? Yes, wheat, soybeans, corn. So we found this interesting little video... Uh, that we're going to play for you now from 1960. 
Across the nation, the combines are on the move. Starting in Texas and Oklahoma, the wheat harvest rolls north across the Great Plains. This guy's voice is awesome. Across the fields of Nebraska. So it's the same guy in all these old videos. The like how did he did all to of them. the Pacific Northwest. Millions of tons from the thick golden fields. Do you think the band was right there behind him playing? Yeah. More than enough wheat for our is, a, is our combine in this video? Pretty close. And we do. A billion dollars worth annually to consumers overseas. Combines rolling soybeans. Roll across the soybean fields in nearly every state east of the Rockies. Narrator's got to do more than enough for our needs. Plenty to sell overseas, and we do. A billion dollars worth of soybeans. Did he just say that on YouTube? One billion dollars. Billion dollars to everything. Everything's the machines good. gather the feed grains from across the nation. Nice rolling in corn, three row. Three row. Great abundance. That's our combine, Max. Yeah. That's the one. Ready to sell overseas. And we do. A billion dollars annually in feed <laughs> grain sales to foreign countries. So basically, what I'm getting out of this is in the 60s, we sold $3 billion of the Mexicans. Is it a billion each? Or yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting how they were kind of advertising that back in, uh, I believe the video was from 1960. So, yeah, apparently we did $3 billion worth of <laughs> our major crops overseas, a billion each. And in general, I like watching old farm machinery videos, so any time you put something like that in front of me, I'm going to enjoy it. But, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of prosperity, a lot of exports of surpluses. I know there was some debate at the time over whether, and even still is today, whether we should be exporting surpluses or you know, building supply, and it has an effect on the economy both ways. So, Thanks, all of you, for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please go to naicc.org, and there you can find a crop consultant in your area. Please subscribe and resubscribe and unsubscribe and resubscribe to the podcast. All the subscribers help our numbers. So thank you for listening. And also, please tell a farmer friend about the podcast. When you tell them about the podcast, what are they going to say, Max? Are they going to be like, oh, yeah. They're going to be like, what is a podcast? Is that like the radio? So what you're going to need to do is maybe educate them on what a podcast is, how they could listen, where they could listen. Just be like, hey, do you have a smartphone? And then they say no. Then be like, uh, we can't help. <laughs> but you. but they probably have, have an iPad. Yeah, they probably have an iPad. Yes, and it's and probably then, in the tractor. Yes. So I mean, just saying, iPads. They that, also that's have all podcast players to help us out. So thanks for listening. We appreciate that. And yeah, tell a farmer friend, Matt. Where can they follow us? Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. And please enjoy. So now we're gonna move into. Cool beans, that's corny for this week. So, cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. So, today's cool beans is a little bit more out of the box, but comes right here from Wisconsin. So, a student at UW-Platteville, Joseph, I'm going to probably butcher this, Crianza, uh, is a junior and recently earned first place in the 2020 Student Research and Innovation Showcase. His project focused on using plant essential oils to control white mold disease in soybeans. So basically essential oils as 
uh, fungicide. So all, so just have your wives or whoever in your family does essential oils. Just go buy a bunch, and we're going to spray our soybeans next year. Yes. Uh, no? You may need a Lots of rather money. sizable uh, funding loan from a bank. <laughs> Place your order now. Essential oils are not cheap. I was going to say, isn't like a, like a one-ounce bottle of essential oil, isn't that like 12 bucks or something like that? I probably yeah, what I was the rate expensive. per acre? I, I, it did not mention that it's I probably saw not even a rate. The rate, sure, uh, just to see if it could work or the, not. The image shows what looks like a jar the size of a peanut butter jar with plants in it. Oh, yeah, so it's, a, it's a college student. I'm guessing he did yeah. eat the peanut butter and then he had to. It's pretty small scale and stuff, but it, it still is interesting. That's cool, yeah. Outside the box thinking, yeah. UW Platteville. So. So yeah, that was kind of cool. And then our That's Corny for this week is a uh, rather unique That's Corny. So we had some livestock take a uh, little swim Ooh. this week. Japanese Coast Guard found a second sailor as they searched for missing ship that had 43 sailors and 5,800 cows aboard. So, so yeah, it was the... Uh, it was... In route from Australia, um, kind of area, and New Zealand, they must export a whole lot of cattle. I didn't realize how much, and I didn't even know that these ships existed. It was actually <laughs> I mean, cattle, just the mag- a cattle ship. Yeah, imagine six thousand. I you know I cows I always assumed we like if we exported like beef, they meant like we it was slaughtered here, yeah, processed, right. and we exported it on a fridge on a fridge ship. I didn't realize no, they, they like there was live cattle. We send them. Yeah, it was Henri Hamouch. They did. This is a big industry for New Zealand and Australia. Two live cattle ships. So they're they're hoping that this doesn't um, put a. I mean, right now they put a hold on doing it, but they're hoping that you know they continue to be able to do this and find better ways to export them. But and this was caused the engine failure, and then they were in the hurricane a typhoon. Um, a typhoon. Thank you. Yes, a typhoon, and it was you know 130 miles per hour. So. They said that when you, and that was the first sailor they pulled out, kind of told them a little bit of what happened. Um, and basically, they still haven't found much. There is some cattle washing up on a China shore. Mm. So um, on the, that, that's showing that obviously, you know, that. So basically, the, all 6,000 cattle were lost, I would imagine. More yeah, than likely. Yes. So I wonder. How many people it takes on one of those ships to get fifty eight hundred cattle fed? Well, yeah, and that's forty three people. It's a crew of forty three. So, so yeah, obviously that's your crew, which I mean, which blew me away too. Of how do you? And, what, and guess how long the trip is, you guys, or what was supposed seven to, days, seventeen days. Holy, Holy man, buckets. So I mean, this isn't like you can't not feed them. Right? No, right? It wasn't like oh well, it's, it's not like, like it's not like uh you know. When, when you're, when you're shipping cattle, like, at an auction, they're like, okay, we'll milk at five, yeah. and then we'll put them on the truck, and they'll be there by tomorrow morning for milking. For like, milking it's not like that. No. I wonder, you know what would be crazy, and this is, like, this would be, I guess, a good outcome, is, like, there's some island out there that had a bunch of cattle, like, washed up, and now there's just cattle living on this island. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you see those pigs out in the Bahamas? Gilgan's Isle style? Or what? Yeah. I, Isle of Jersey style? Yes. Isle Ooh. of Jersey. Oh. Je- Isle of Jersey too. <laughs> But in the South China Sea. Jersey Shore, but it's actually just cows that are on an island. Yeah. What are you talking about? You want some beef? Forget about it. 
Uh, all right. But yeah, very sad story and interesting. The details are still yeah, um, fortunate. You know, that, it's it's. I mean, I'm guessing it has to do with freshness is why they were, you know, trying to, yeah. One of the and this was a, this was from a animal rights group, um, person made a statement and said that basically to make matters worse, those they're likely all pregnant. All those cattle. So I don't know if it's typically dry cows. Um, Interesting. Or yeah, so I it, it, I well, try to find details on you know if it's beef cattle, dairy cattle, what it was, how big, and none of that was. Yeah, I guess I assume, I was assuming it was for beef, but yeah, yeah. Even were. to see the inside of the ship, you know, trying to Google up images because the outside of the ship just kind of looked like pretty a, unassuming on the yeah, outside. Yeah, I mean, it just looked like a big ship, like a. Um, but yeah, just to see the inside too, how you would even do that it's i would think they would have to have like layered like you yeah, know it's definitely be... uh four tiers that i can tell yeah hmm. and cow could be a general term in national uh, media story too right like is that ca- cows a like or a it could cow be or... heifers it could be beef cows it could be beef steers i mean it could be a lot of things you know yeah it could be all it could be all you know a couple day old calves you know that are you know, we're going to move them over there and they're going to be part of a dairy operation over there. Like, you have no clue what that means. Right. And though you can't really move them any other way. I mean, off New Zealand, right. you're not going to. No, a ship would be ideal that way. Yeah, I wouldn't think you'd be able to fly them. them. Like, not, not without taking several trips. I don't think they could really fit 6,000 cows on yeah. a plane. It's like Noah's Ark style. He did it for 40 days. Can you imagine so. the mooing <laughs> when their ears popped on an airplane? <laughs> oh. <laughs> the bellering. <Yes. laughs> Interesting story. Yeah, no, that was fascinating. All right. The you applied what? What did you do? A little loud there. Sorry. All right. So, Bill, what do you got for us this week? Oh, I got a tricky one. All right. As usual, four things. One is not like the other. So three things are, are the same. Again, one is not. So first up. Cruiser Max. There's a layup for you. Yep, seed treatment. Yep, okay. Second thing, Devana. Third item, Resonate. And the last one is Lumigen. Hmm. Any guesses on what, what we have here, gentlemen? I'm guessing seed treatment being it's yes. Cruiser Max. Seed treatment it is, and it's wheat seed treatment. Okay. Lumigen I've heard of for, I believe, seed treatment, but it, obviously it's He's probably trying to trick us with something that's... Yeah, that sounded familiar. Uh, Remesate and... Resonate. Resonate and Devana. Devana Adams. Is that Devante's wife? Yes, Devana Adams. Devana? Devana? I'm going to say Devana's the odd one out. Going with Devana? I'll go Resonate. Resonate. What you going to do? What you going to do? Uh, I was le- leaning Devana. So I'm going to go Devana. Devana it is. Two of three. Devana is an essential oil. Bam. Oh, ah, look at that. Ah. It could be a seed treatment. So you could, could be. It could actually be. Uh, yes. But check back next week. We'll update this. Uh, you applied yes. what? Yes, it could you, be. What but is, it, uh, it is a name of an essential oil. Did, did you? What is it made from? Uh, I didn't. From, from the Devana plant, obviously. Yes. I, well, I'm assuming it's the name <laughs> of the... What uh, is resonate, Bill? That's a seed treatment. I didn't look it up either. Why? It was just and then lubigen. That Lumigen one. is, I think, a pioneer one. More common one. one. Yeah. Yeah. 
So. Hey, I get. I'm just saying. I'm typing in Devana on my on my uh, phone here, and I type in D A V A, and Devante Adams pops up. Nice, so, closely it's a, related. It's obviously. a uh, looks like a aromatic herb. For, must come from it said Sanskrit, so I'm guessing Middle Eastern area somewhere. Scientific name is Artemisia palins. Resonate is a Winfield. Winfield. Crop protection. So Got I'm it. guessing on your cropland wheat, you mm-hmm. get some resonate. Mm-hmm. And then what's interesting is there is a, um, oh yeah, it, yeah, it's made by Alba launched it, but yeah, it's a Winfield product. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, sounds good. Very cool. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So we talked about some tips for growing better winter wheat crop. Looked at Raven releasing second-generation Hawkeye nozzle control system. Talked about agricultural prosperity from 1950 to 1975. In our Cool Beans, that's corny. A student did some research on using essential oils to treat white mold and soybeans. And a bunch of missing cows somewhere in the South China Sea. So if you see some cows swimming, please stop and give them a hand. And we talked about seed treatments and you applied what? So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.